It's 2011, so I get to say, coming up. Coming up? God damn it! <laughs> we talk about pop. And politics. Schmolitics. We talk about comedy and... Something else. Uh, well, we pretty much solve the problems of America. Modern America. We talk about the graduating class of Chicago comedy. We do. Uh, we talk about flapping. And those who flap. I would call them flappers. We talk about Jimmy Dore's upcoming comedy show at Flappers this Thursday, January 13th. Yeah, go see it if you're in the greater Los Angeles area. Flappers is in Burbank. I'm sure you can find them on their shitty website. Speaking of shitty comedy sites, we talk about JimmyDoreComedy.com. <laughs> which which uh, he promises will be less shitty in the future. We talk about infomercials. We talk about the glug jug Or is it the jug glug We talk about the moron canon. Yeah, I'm... <laughs> is there moron fanfic yet? Is there better yet? Is there moron slash fic yet? Moron slash Johnny Marr fanfic? Well, probably. <laughs> we have to get April on that. <laughs> so you're listening, April Richardson. And why wouldn't you be? We talk about teachers. We do talk about teachers. We talk about Pinkertons. I'm married to one, and so is Jimmy. That's true. I'm not. Teachers. I, I mean, not Pinkertons. Busted. You're married to a Pinkerton. I am married to a Pinkerton. Or at least a thug. I am married to a strike breaker. We talk about Dennis Miller and my dad. So tune in to find out. Are they the same person? Never seen them in the same room together. On the Shaky Town Radio Hour. Town Radio Hours on the air. I'm Gene George. I'm Brody Foster Hubbard. Sitting uh, with us is uh, one of the, I want to say one of the giants of podcasting, one of the one of the seminal folks in the podcasting world, at least as, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, uh, a comedian, uh, political commentator, uh, uh, boy oh boy, you know. All those things. All of those things. Jimmy Dore, welcome sir. Hey, thanks for having me on. I didn't know I was considered uh, any of those things. Yeah. Well, uh, a giant in the podcasting. I didn't. Uh, I didn't know there were giants, but uh, that's nice that there is, and I'm one of them. If there is anyone who is a giant, it should be me. And uh, we did start. We just started our show. You know, when I think about back when I started doing comedy and everything else with Todd Glass and Steph Zamorano, um, 123 episodes ago. Yeah. So, and that's just so. Uh, I like to say, well, it was 123 weeks ago, but it wasn't. It was actually longer because we didn't used to drop them every week. That was before. You know, people knew much about podcasts, and I didn't know that you were supposed to drop on the same day. And right. uh, and that's been a real roller coaster the last few months with my show. Like, it drops any day of the week. It can drop on a Monday or a Tuesday. Like, I tell them, I go, if it doesn't drop on Monday or Tuesday, it's going to drop on Wednesday or Thursday. And if not Wednesday or Thursday, definitely Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. Right. So, I try to tell people. Well, well you're keep, at least you're keeping it consistent. I keep, keep consistently. Well, the way I look at it is it's consistently once a week. Yeah. But people like to get into a routine. I understand yeah. that. Like everybody likes to go, well, Monday's my comedy and everything else podcast and Tuesday's my whatever podcast. I, that's why we try to do really extra long episodes so people can string it out over a whole week. 
That's <laughs> you, you guys actually, because am I a little far? Am I far away? Oh, good. Let's keep this on there. Let's, okay. let's make sure this stays on the. Um, uh, now, uh, uh, no, it's funny because uh, uh, comedy and everything else, and uh, and never not funny, were two of the first uh, podcasts. I think the first podcast that I, I remember listening to is, is is Gervais's podcast. But but after that, it was comedy and everything else. A part of the show, never not funny, and um, you guys would have these long really long episodes and I would listen while I was riding my bike around Griffith Park and my bike ride was about an hour so I would get like two comedy and everything else is out of a bike ride <laughs> as opposed to like a pardo <laughs> you know so I do remember that it was like sometimes you guys would just record <laughs> yeah we would go on we didn't know what well we didn't know what we were doing you know, uh, I know just a little bit more now what I'm doing. But when we first started, we were just, uh, our, you know, the whole idea was I always like to hear comedians talk about comedy. Yeah. And, uh, but then I always like to hear comedians talk about other stuff. Like, because comedians, I think, are, the, uh, are really interesting or maybe even more interesting than other people. And that's why, you know, of course, I'm biased because I'm a comedian, but all my favorite people have always been comics or close to it my heroes were so I always like to hear him talk about stuff so that's why we started doing comedy and everything else and uh, before you know you know Todd was is a pretty blow big blowhard and so am I and uh, so <laughs> you know we instead of a regular show would just be an hour an hour and a half but since there were two of us it would end up being three hours a lot of times absolutely and uh, a lot of people complained about that. They were like, hey, I love your show, but it's too long, which I just think that's the funniest thing. It's like, hey, that girl's really sexy, but her tits are a little too nice. And, uh, but, but I get it. I understand because it's like, oh, now I'm committed to three hours of this show. Because, and I get it's like a mental thing with people. I always would tell people, well, you just hit pause and you can come back later. Yeah, it's there. You can stop listening whenever you want. It's not like the radio. That's the thing is I think you know, it's funny because we have you know, radio in our title. And it has nothing to do with radio. It really doesn't. Oh, Shaky Town Radio? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You know, but people think that it's like, uh, if I don't catch this now, it's going away. Yeah, so uh, it's amazing how many people, I saw a survey recently of people who aren't even aware of podcasts and how they work. And uh, and that's just, uh, you know, it, it's great that podcasts happened. Um, I can't believe that it took so long for it to happen, but I guess the internet had to happen first. But it, it, it seemed to happen exactly when radio got horrible. Yeah. Right? When radio got absolutely on. If you are, you know, have an IQ above your, you know, a 30, you're not going to enjoy radio very much. Yeah, or you're under uh, like 80 years old. Right, yeah. right. I mean, even like you go, well, what about AM? There's a lot of talk radio. Well, I would say about 90% of the talk radio is either sports or right-wing political chatter. Yeah, or garbage, or like, or, or self-help garbage. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I like I like the self help garbage, it's, but I know what you mean. It, it's it's the top of the scum. That but but the I, I don't really. But I on AM radio, you hear that stuff? Yeah, I mean, I don't listen to talk radio. I, I, I yeah. have a, I, my grandfather listens to. This is why, if you're under eighty, my grandfather, I lived with him for a while when I was a teenager, uh-huh. and he that's what he listened to exclusively. And this is when talk radio was still quote unquote good when you still had people when it wasn't all Rush Limbaugh and you know it was, yeah. Um, well, yeah, well, there, yes, there used to be a lot of different kind of shows. Absolutely, I hated it then. <laughs> Man, I, I, I tell you right now, uh-huh. th- that's one of the circles of hell for me. Would be stuck in like a bus station with like a, a radio that played only 
talk radio, modern talk radio. Well, when they started sports talk radio, I remember when it started in Chicago, sports talk radio, Mm -hmm. and uh, it was bad. And there was, you know, uh, it, it, it was like, let's go to uh, Vinny driving a uh, pretzel truck, see what he thinks about the Bears' backfield. And I'm like, I couldn't care less what that guy thinks. And that's the, the you know, that, I mean, that's, and, and some shows have, like, I like that Art Bell talk radio show, like, even though it's way out there stuff. Yeah, like UFO conspiracy. Yes, kind of stuff. So when I would work Vegas, I used to, you know, I used to work Vegas probably 10, 12, 13 years a week, year, weeks a year, or years a week. And um, those are long. I was going to say that. Wow. And uh, anyway, so I would always drive back on Sunday nights, and I would get the Art Bell show and listen to that. And, uh, you know, it, it was entertainment for me. But anyway, so that's what's wrong with the, with the talk radio. You know, that's when people think of talk radio. I think it's all, there's not really a variety of programming anymore. It's, it's either, it's really right-wing radio right. and, uh, or it's sports. Right. And that's pretty much it. And then there's only one news radio uh, even left in Los Angeles. Yeah, 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 1070, I know. That's it. K, is it KSNX? Is that uh, what it's uh, called? What was it? Uh, or KFWB K- or something K- like No, KFWB just changed over to talk. To talk. Was That's that it? Yeah, it's yeah KNX, okay. KNX 1070. Yeah, so now you can get all the Dr. Laura and Rush Limbaugh. Oh, man. It killed me. It and killed me. and Sean Hannity and uh, uh, Mark Levin and uh, all that. It's all right-wing talk. So, and then there, we do have that one remnant of Air America left over in Los Angeles that has... They play, I think, maybe a couple of what they would consider liberal talk show hosts. But it's anyway. So uh, that's what's wrong. So yeah. So talk radio was just and radio is horrible. And podcasting started and it filled a void. And uh, it's I, I we first of all like I was talking to somebody and if you go to iTunes and you go to the the iPod the podcasting section and then you go to say like the uh, the wouldn't you go to the top? I would go if I was starting a radio station. I would take the five top. Um, uh, uh, comedy podcasts and say, hey, you have a radio show and not my radio station. And I would take the top five po- news and information podcasts and say, you now have a show and the top five whatever. And, uh, you know, arts and whatever, or cooking thing, and you have a show now. I'm, what, but that doesn't happen on radio. Radio... I don't know. I, yeah. Well, a lot of the, but that's the thing is like, uh, uh, you know, Corolla had a radio show and they, they got rid of it. Corolla had one of the most popular radio yeah. shows on radio. They, CBS got rid of him. And then, and it didn't. That 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 was a that tells you something about the state of the uh, the health of radio. How uh, dysfunctional it is yeah. when a guy like Adam Carolla leaves radio and it doesn't even make a blip. Like yeah. nobody go there. Nobody's hey, where's he going to end up? Where's he going to go? Who's going to try to get him? Nobody tried to get him. Right. Nobody's trying to do anything like that. But, nobody wants to pay someone to actually do a show on radio. Nobody wants to do that anymore because it's this race to the bottom because we deregulated radio and now only a handful of people own it, just like only a handful of people own everything anymore. And that's why everything sucks. And that's why you got to get stuff like podcasts so people can have real entertainment again. So how did um, about a year, I think it was a year and a half into comedy and everything else, that the, um, the KPFK show in Los Angeles where we're based, where Gene and I are based and the Shaky Town Radio Hour is based, um, you're on 90.7 FM. Yes. The show is picked up in some other, other markets, I believe. Yes, it's on a New, it's a New York City. They played on WBAI and then um, uh, they played in Grand Rapids. Yeah. Uh, they played in Olympia, Washington. It used to be played in, um, I think it's played in Anchorage. And it used to be played in Wasilla, but I don't know if it's still in Wasilla. That was nice. Yeah, <laughs> was, yeah that must have been. How did that relationship begin? With you know what? It's a public radio show, so we make it available to all other public radio stations. And um, some people pick it up and some people don't. 
Um, there's better ways for us, I'm sure, to to get the word out there about the show as far as distribute distributing it through public radio. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully, I'll find those. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm a comedian, so my focus my whole life has been uh, creating art in the sense of just writing jokes and becoming a better comedian, mm-hmm. and that's been the focus of my life. And uh, now we're to, and so, and then people, and then if you got to be a good enough comedian, other people took care of all those other problems, like marketing you and finding right. you work and figuring out all the stuff, right? Like when I did my hour special, right? So there, there was a, so there was a record company that came up with a, a design for the album and they promoted it and they called radio stations and got me interviews and, and they sent out posters to record stores and they, so they took care of all that stuff, Right. And so, but now in this day and age, when you do your own podcasting, you record it, you produce it, you distribute it yourself through uh, the internet. So, but now you have to know how to do all that stuff. And the people who do are the people, and that's like uh, a big block for a lot of people, especially people who have just, uh, you know, it's like, I don't know how good I would have been at anything else besides comedy because it kind of suits my particular form of ADD and, um, (laughs) And you know whatever blo- you know whatever blocks I have emotionally to creating to creating art or work, uh, stand up comedy fixes it or it, it works perfectly. Like because you get to write stuff in thirty second increments or one minute increments, however long or so, and then test it out and now you know it's good. Whereas writing a book, you have to write a whole book before someone tells you yeah, if it sucks, suck you. Suck you and you have that. to write a, a screenplay or even a sitcom. You have to sit down. You have to think. Of, you have to think everything through, and it has yeah. to all work. And for somebody with a brain like mine, it's like, oh, I can't do it all at once. So I just kind of shut down. But stand-up comedy, I can do it a little at a time, and that works for me. Same thing with podcasting. You know, it's like I can just sit down and start talking, yep. and it doesn't have to be perfect. So, you know, Voltaire said, don't let perfect be the enemy of the good. And our podcast proves that every week. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and like Voltaire, I think you're going to get your ass kicked. <laughs> um, the... <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I've found, because, I, I, you know, since I've been working trying to be, you know, a, a comic and, and doing the podcast and stuff, I've found personally that I have to, like, I have to work really fast. I have to, like, barf something out really quickly if it's if it's longer than a couple jokes or just jotting down notes or, or whatever. Because if I don't, I totally lose, lose, like, if I write a story, a short story, I've got to sit down and get it out. Boom, 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 boom. I can come back and rewrite it later or whatever. So, like... Sketch is like my perfect medium. It's like three to five pages or whatever, and then I'm done. But I can't. I've thought about you know a screenplay and things like that, or spec scripts, and it's really tough for me because you know, like you're saying, it's like that shiny object comes along and I'm done. Yeah. What What made you guys start to do a podcast? This is six. Well, the idea for the podcast probably about a year old, but Mm -hmm. but um, after various you know, hashing out what we wanted to do with the format. Um, it's been six months, about 30, what, 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 how many episodes? Have we yeah, had? about 28, 29 episodes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And you guys liking it? Loving it. Loving yeah, it. really are. Yeah. Best. We got to meet a lot of people. We got to meet Steph. She oh, there you go. Show. Okay. That's right. That sure. was wonderful. Yeah. And, um, now did you guys feel, uh, like when I have to, uh, ask people to come be on the show, mm-hmm. that's my least favorite part of the show. And uh, it's, you know, I feel like, oh, I have to bug someone to come over and blah, right. blah, blah. And uh, it's just, how do you guys, how do you guys deal with that? I just, we first started by talking to and reaching out to people that we knew personally. Um, 
and that's helped. Um, and through some of those people, made other relationships, and then you know uh, we, we've had a couple of people that we've had on the show say, "Hey, you should have so and so on the show. Let me introduce you," kind of thing. Um, uh, generally, because of the, I mean, the idea behind the show, really, the, the main thrust of what we want to do with Shake Town is talk to comedians, musicians, artists, activists, whomever we find interesting about stuff we find mm-hmm. interesting. I'll so, get you. So right there, it's I think easier. It's a more natural fit for. I've always really wanted to talk to Jimmy Dore about comedy <laughs> and politics and whatever and everything I, else and, and, and stand up boot camp and everything else <laughs> boot camp, um, which uh, you know. So so a lot of it is. I mean, I, Brody's a musician. I've done stand up. You got to have a lot of guts to do that kind of stuff. Anyway, I don't have a problem saying, "Hey, would you like to come on the show?" And if you're not, okay. You know, what's the worst that can happen? You you're a dick to me. Yes. You know? So so I it's think the people who don't write back that that really hurts my feelings. Mine too. Yeah. Mine yeah. too. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, Brody so that, Stevens. So Oh, see no name. <laughs> I love Brody. Brody's great. So do I. All right. No, I've had that happen or some people go, Sure, I'd love to, and then that you know, they obviously don't wanna. <laughs> you know, yeah, and then yeah. you throw them a couple of dates and they're like, No, doesn't no, doesn't work or then they never come back with yeah. how about this? And you're like, Oh, why don't you just tell me? You don't want to be on the show. You don't have to make me go through these extra three hoops thinking you really want to be on the show. Right. Just tell me you don't want to be on the show, and that's okay. Well, we've only had one guest that, that has been kind of hard to get, and that's because that guest is working like hell. Okay. So, so I totally get that. And that's, and that's the Brody tr- Stevens? Stephen Brody Stevens. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but, that's the, uh, but that's, to me, the kicker. That's always the kicker to me is, is um, this should never come in the way of a paying game. <laughs> you know, it's ah. like it's like if you say, I'm "Oh, no doubt about it." Yes, yeah. you can't. Yeah, I mean, I've canceled paying gigs for other paying gigs. So, yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. but yeah. I always figure, and and maybe you can speak to this too. Um, the more people you get to talk to, and the more whether podcast episodes you put out, or if it's Joan Rivers appearing on your KPFK show, mm-hmm. you build somewhat of a reputation. You're able to tell other guests, "This is who we've had on." That guest is like, "Oh, I like those people." If, if if the show's if the show's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. Oh yeah, I guess that does. Uh, yeah, I always thought that people would know who um, when we started the show, which was Todd Glass, that people would know either one of us as a stand-up, mm-hmm. and um, most people I think did. No, so, that's how I got it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then um, we were like, Joan Rivers was different though, right? Because she'd never heard of me or Todd Glass, right? Right. And uh, so she, uh, the KPFK set that up. And they were they were sponsoring her gig at the Catalina Club, right? So they were the radio sponsor, and they blah blah. blah. So that's how it happened. And uh, you know, she was not an easy interview. You know, she was, <laughs> I heard she was, you uh, want her over though. Oh yeah, yeah, she I was nonstop, and you know, charm. Oh, you're great. Come on, and uh, <laughs> and tell me about. She didn't want to talk about anything I wanted to talk about. That was the problem. Uh, yeah, she just wanted to come on and have a very and talk about you know Mel Gibson and tell some jokes and and uh, I wanted to have a real conversation like Charlie. I wanted to Charlie Rose on her ass and uh, she didn't want to go there. And but I we I ended up getting her a little bit. I asked I found the right questions. I asked her a couple of you know questions about what, a, what a, only a comedian would know what it felt like and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And she's then she kind of warmed up to me and came around. We started talking about comedy. I asked her. I said. You know, uh, I said one of my friends 
who happens to be Brody Stevens, says, uh, <laughs> who says that 80% of comedians smoke pot and the other 20% aren't funny. What do you think about that? <laughs> and she said, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. <laughs> she says, Somebody's not funny, they're just not funny. And uh, I, I don't, yeah, like, I, I think she thought I meant that, don't you think pot makes you funny? Which I don't think that. Uh, I think pot makes you appreciate things in a different way. Yeah. And it certainly can, it certainly unlocks some of my creativity, definitely. But I don't think, I think either you're, yeah, you're funny or you're not. And uh, so, yeah. Well, I don't smoke pot and I'm hilarious. <laughs> I don't think if you're unfunny and you smoke pot, you become funny. That's certainly not what happens. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is not what happens at all. Unfunny people remain unfunny, unfortunately, high or not high. Yes, this every open mic I've been to bears that out. <laughs> now, speaking of open mics, and Uh-oh. I want to take us back. Um, I have some questions about the beginnings of your career. Oh, sure. Now, we, we talked to um, Kevin Pollack a couple weeks ago. Oh, dang oh, droppers. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. it was only... Well, how, many, how many episodes before that was uh, Ann Beats from uh, Saturday Night Live? True, true. Nice. Look at you guys. And, I'm uh, going to have to get him. You know, he's in one of my favorite movies of all time. It's called Avalon. Oh, yeah. And a lot of people... Oh, you've heard of that? Yeah. Most people haven't. and uh, Or most people that I talk to. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I love that movie. And uh, you know, he had a lot of great parts and a lot of great moments in that movie, too. So yeah. he was a scene stealer in a couple of episodes. Definitely. We'll mention our names. <laughs> you'll, get, you'll get them. Oh, okay. I'll say, hey, I just did the Shaky Town. I think maybe I get you over it. Well, he's, he's doing his own uh, podcast he's, now, right? He's doing, yeah, he's doing his uh, video, his chat show. Oh, Kevin okay. Yeah. chat show, yeah. We were we were talking about like graduating classes, kind of in a way. Like there was a certain group that came out of San Francisco at a certain era. Um, and oh, when it, I came from Chicago, yeah, it was uh, yeah. There seemed to be a group of us that came out uh, around the same time. Jimmy Pardo, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, Paul Gilmartin, who, as legend has it, this could be true or not, but I'm pretty sure it's true. His first audition he got, and that was for dinner and a movie. Wow! And he's had that sh- he's had that job ever since. <laughs> yes. Yeah, awesome. So you come to Hollywood, your first audition, you land a job, and then you have steady employment for the rest <laughs> of your life. That that is that's the opposite of what's what show business is. Yeah. Show business is you're constantly searching for work, right. constantly seeking employment, constantly seeking a way to make money off of your creativity. It's shark versus barnacle. And uh, he's the he he managed to get the barnacle spot, the one barnacle spot, the barnacle spot. Yeah, you know barnacle. Oh yes, attaches oh, to a rock and oh. just sits there and yes, as opposed to having to be a shark and constantly swimming. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, that's I just made that, just up, make that up right oh, okay. now. <laughs> Boom. Oh, I, I thought that was like a saying no. people talk about. Yeah, it's like shark with barnacle. Like, yeah, you know, you know what I'm talking. No, <laughs> and, so okay. If you're unfamiliar with it, that's just because <laughs> you boom, just made, made it up. up. Way to go, yep. Gene. Thank you very much. Um. So, I, who else came out? There was an. Uh, well, there was a comic. I think he was already out here. Anthony Griffith is a mm-hmm. black comic from Chicago who did the HBN Young Comedian special in like '92. Yeah, with uh, uh, John Stewart, I think was on that one with Warren Hutchinson and a few other people. And uh, so he came out here right around the same time. I came out here right around the same time. Uh, I moved out here with a guy named Jackie Flynn, who had won the San Francisco Comedy Contest in 1994. Which when that's when that still meant something, and uh, and the way you can tell it doesn't mean anything is somebody won it twice. 
right. So, well, if it did, if it really did something for you, you wouldn't re- get back in the contest. Right. If it, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I forget who that guy <laughs> Maybe was. Maybe it didn't take. Yeah. Somebody won it once, and then he was like, wow, I'm gonna, uh, this worked so well for my career, I'm going to get in this contest again. <laughs> maybe the contest was his barnacle spot. Yeah, oh, maybe. see? Boom. But that's just like, wow, if you want to just cement in everyone's head that this contest doesn't help your career why don't you get back enter the contest again you fuck you know what Robin Williams won yeah he didn't get back in the contest (laughs) right right you win it you move on (laughs) anyway so it's supposed to be a springboard for your career it's not supposed to be your career Right. Anyway, I just thought that was funny. Well, you know, maybe maybe it's uh, they they could do like uh, like rodeos, you know, where you just go from town to town entering contests and need a big belt buckle or something for winning a comedy <laughs> contest. Maybe, maybe. Who else did I come up here? Come out here with? I always uh, associate you with like Graham Elwood. Graham Elwood. It was yeah. another guy. Yes, and. Um, who, who else from Chicago? But the, so that was like the. And there was a guy named Pete Schwaba who wrote. Uh, a, a movie called uh, Godfather of Green Bay, which is an independent funny film, and uh, he writes with the guy who uh, originally wrote Meet the Parents, uh, which is now Meet the Fuckers, yeah. and uh, Greg Gliano, which is a very funny stand-up comic from Chicago, who uh, did it, he did the original version of that and was financed. He financed it with Emil Phillips. Yeah. Oh, nice. The movie it's called Meet the Parents, and I saw that version with a lot of Chicago comics in it, Mike Toomey. Anyway, and uh, and then they remade it, obviously, with the... But he... You know, the way Hollywood works, he didn't get credit. His name somehow got taken off the credits of the yeah. writing credit. I think he gets, uh, uh, you know, story by or something. Or, oh, really? But he didn't get written by or something because of how it works. Like, they had to hire... Anyway, you know how that goes. That's yeah. Bullshit. I've had a couple of friends do uncredited rewrites and things like that. And and you, um, when you took the, I mean, same journey out here as a lot of the other Chicago comics. Oh, but, Mike Siegel. I, I don't want to forget yeah. my good friend Mike Siegel, who at the time was hosting some show on MTV. So we moved to L.A., me and like me, Pardo, Graham, Paul Gilmartin, uh, Pete Schwab, I moved to L.A. And Mike went to New York because he got a gig uh, hosting something for, oh, we all got invited to Montreal. That helps. Yeah. Oh, we right, got invited right. to the Montreal Festival. That helps. Uh, and Mike went to New York to do something for MTV, but now he lives out here and he's hosted, you know, a bunch of shows mm-hmm. and he's always hosting. So he hosts a show on TBS. It's a, it's one of those things where they talk about movies. Uh, it's funny that I remember the name of the show. Isn't that? <laughs> he's, it's another one of those. He's hosted that show for like eight years. Probably. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, is it fair to say, I, I know that you a while ago specifically said i'm not pursuing commercial work anymore i seem to remember that conversation oh you mean like commercials like like literal commercials right right yes and and i stopped going on commercial auditions auditions for commercials right yeah just because they take a lot of time and and, you know i I enjoyed them Mm -hmm. not that let me put it this way i enjoy going and seeing other actors i enjoy uh, going and see all the pretty models that are auditioning for stuff mostly seeing the pretty models yeah. <laughs> right that because when you go into audition for a commercial maybe i mean you, know, you guys know this but maybe some people listening don't is that you go in and, and they'll be not casting one commercial yeah. usually they'll they'll be casting like eight nine or ten commercials and then they're all in these little so there's like a center room where everyone sits in and there's all these doors off that center room that go into little audition spaces little offices where you go in an audition in front of a camera and so there's always there's always going to be a group of hot chicks there's always a group <laughs> of models always 
and that's I, that's what I liked about it. But you have to drive to, <laughs> you know, at, 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 you know, driving in Los Angeles is a nightmare uh, at at any time of day, and then especially you know, uh, doing commercials, you have to drive to the other side of the city often. Right. And yeah. so it was just, and then you know, you don't get you know, you can go. Uh, one of my mo- friends, who's the most successful commercial actor I know, is Chip Chinnery, and. He said he had he had gone on a hundred and like thirty five or maybe even sixty five auditions before he even landed a commercial. Yeah. So that could be let's say you go on three auditions a week. That could be a year straight of auditioning, just straight before you even get something. So it's a lot of investment of your time, yeah. and people don't realize that. So you know when people go, oh, you do one commercial, you make fifty thousand dollars. It's like yeah, but. You might not get one. <laughs> You've been driving around for a year, sometimes two years in your car through traffic for hours. Yeah. And I'll, you know, I would go on these auditions. Uh, a lot of times you have to go to, to the west side of Los Angeles, mm-hmm. which, as anyone knows, is a nightmare to get back from. Right? To try yeah. to get back from the west side just about at any time of day. It's just because just, just there's nowhere to get back anyway. So how many hours I had spent in my car just coming back from an audition. And then, and then what, what happened was I used to live right in the middle Right in the center of things, right uh, on, uh, right by the Laugh Factory over there, mm-hmm. right. right in Hollywood. So I lived on Gardner and Hollywood Boulevard, and uh, which is the residential part of Hollywood Boulevard, which was it was very nice, and but it was very centrally located to stuff. But then when I moved to Pasadena, which is where I live now, it's like that's when I'm like, oh, I can't be driving around trying to do yeah. commercials anymore. Like this, this takes too. It yeah. would just take too much, and I'm because I'm doing other things. Like I'm writing my radio show and recording that. I'm doing my podcast and I'm recording that. You know, I'm doing my, the UCB show and I'm recording that and trying to write that. And that's, those are things that happen every week. So I, I didn't just didn't have time to do that shit anymore. Yeah, no, we've had this conversation about open mics and, and commercials even worse. Doing commercial auditions is even worse. Yeah, but I'm open mic. You're definitely going to get something out of it because you're going to agree. Agree. Well, or not? No, because I mean, my experience for the longest time was there were way more people than slots at most open mics. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that that happened. Yeah, this, this is. They used to run a show at El Cid, and um, they had an hour before the book show, and they tried to shoehorn in everybody that signed up. I literally went on stage, said hi, my name is Gene George, told a joke, got the light, walked off. I mean, literally, it was like a minute and a half. So. Boy, it's a comedy's tough out there, boys, isn't it? <laughs> but I mean, but, but how do you do it? That how did you finally get through? But that was the. But that was the. But they they at least tried to get everybody up. But it was lottery for a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so so. But 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 to to tie that into what you were talking about, driving from my house in Burbank to Hollywood. Going up for a minute and a half, then thinking about I got to drive to Westwood for a show or something. It's yeah. like I, you know, I had a kid. Once I had a kid, I'm like, I'm just going to shoot myself <laughs> in the face. But, I don't know how. You know what? I don't know how. I, the people. I was been thinking about that lately because I'm, I'm 45 now, so I would like to have kids. But at the same time, I don't have the energy that I, you need to have kids, and I don't know. I, I can barely manage my life right now. I can't imagine taking care of someone else's life. I have to say though, because I, you know, I, I was on the fence about it for a long time. I'm, um, but once our child was born, she's so awesome. Yes, it I, makes a lot of it makes there there are things biologically that that help you forget the fact that you feel like you can't do that. I don't not saying you still can actually do take care of another person, but I think. There's things that are released, chemicals that are released in your brain that make you feel like you're doing a good job. <laughs> okay. I think that's how it works. I honestly think that's how it works. You know, works. It's just most people, you know, when back in 
the caveman times. Well, that certainly does, caveman. it certainly works that way with women. So um, maybe something does happen with men. Women yeah. start, they, they become different people because Absolutely. their body secretes different hormones yeah. now. And they have different feelings than yeah. they had before, which is allows them to be mothers. Absolutely. You know, no, I think you're, I, I think that's true. I think it really is true. Cause which lets you know that those people, those women who do have kids and still work aren't really, really mothers. <laughs> like my wife. Hello, Tish. Uh, no, if Tish hears that, she's going to. Yeah, she knows I'm kidding, right? No. I'm sorry. You know, I'm half kidding. Anyway, the thing is, ladies, stay home. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Now, you just reminded me in a roundabout way. This is something I definitely was excited to talk to you about. Oh, um, okay. I recorded the other night and watched today. We're going to wait for the siren. Oh, I like the siren. <laughs> um, it's verisimilitude. You recorded and watched the other day. The newest Dennis Miller special. Oh, I haven't seen it. Now, he was a hero of yours and was a hero of mine. Um, and how did you feel? Um, it's, like, it's like talking to my dad. He's my dad's age, and he looks like my dad. Maybe he is my dad, but um, it, it was like... I was, I was just home for Christmas in Phoenix, and my dad and I had good conversation. We're definitely politically opposed. I'm far more KPFK, and he is uh-huh. far more Fox News, right? And but there are still places where we can intersect and we agree on things, and I felt that was true of, of Dennis Miller. He made a point to say I support same-sex marriage, and uh, but then he's also talking about Obamacare being a bad thing, and I I know you've also discussed like some things uh, that you're not happy with as far as that goes. Um, Obama's definitely not universally beloved by liberals by any means. Well, to say right, say I mean. You know, it's it, it, liberals. I think it's because people who are liberal see all progress that this country has made as coming from from liberals. Which you'd be hard pressed to find some kind of progressive thing that changed the country for a better that came out of a conservative ideology. Can you think of one? Well, it depends. See, some I people think- would say some people would say this. They would go, "Well, the Constitution is a conservative document," and I would say, "Okay, but let's say since then." <laughs> yeah, I think I think I think the problem is is divorcing the divorcing and and I'm going to I'm, I'm just, in honor of of you and in, in the early Todd Glass shows I'm going to preface this. Okay, I'm going to preface this by saying I've said on the show before I hate politics. I hate talking about politics because oh. I just think in general. I mean, I like opinions about politics, but generally I think politics devolves into bullshit, especially in this country in this day and age. Actually, your political commentary aside, I think. I think there's well-reasoned political commentary, but for the most part, most political discussions in this country turn into really quick. Um, but I think you have to divorce this, the new wave of conservative So, so is your, can I, can I just stop no, you? Go, go, go. So is your answer to that to not to engage in politics anymore? No, I, 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 I do my own research. I don't talk about politics. Oh, okay. It's like the whole, the old fashioned, don't discuss religion and politics at the dinner table. That's what they say. And, and I'm kind of, I'm, that's my neo sort of, unless very, very pressed, I don't care what your opinion is. I will research my own opinion. I will go to the polls and I will vote my conscience. Right. 
you know, and, gotcha. and that to me, it's hard to do because you have to wade through the partisan bullshit on every side of the issue. Right. I mean, look, but there is the internet now, which makes things immensely easier. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like before when there was only three and you, and you had to turn yes. to, right. to Ted Koppel, that was the only way you're right. going to get your information. Right. And now it, with the internet, you see how woefully inadequate that news is. And you yeah. also how see uninformed people were. And you also see how biased the some of the trusted sources are i wouldn't even say bias i would just say i think when people say all oh, the media is liberal like they used to always say that the media is just selling soap oh no that's what i'm saying is 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 you, i guess bias is is, is too strong yeah. a pejorative term mm-hmm. you see where the leanings are you see who's pay you know who's brian brian williams doesn't show up every day and ask himself what do the people watching my show need to know which is what journalism should at its core be yeah well that's when you know when when each town used to have 10 newspapers right right? and 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 it didn't care that there was a bias there was a you know like if there was the there was the workers newspaper and the business newspaper remember that and you know there used to be a worker section in the paper remember that no no one does (laughs) yeah they get rid of that yeah that's the now it's the business section it's yeah. just the business section. So my whole point is that I'm uh, speaking of Obama and not liking Obama. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, you know, certainly Obama is always going to be better than the alternative. And that is what he's counting on. And that's what people <laughs> like that count on. They go, well, who are you going to vote for me or Sarah Palin? Well, obviously, I'd rather have you than Sarah Palin. But but we see what happens is that there's, there's you know, like when George Bush got elected, right? And uh, he did, he governed like a conservative. And it's like, hey, okay, he's not going to be a centrist. He's not going to reach out. He's not going to care. He's going to stick his thumb in. But you know what? God damn it. They won the election. They won the election. So he gets, the country gets to be governed this way. Right. Well, then we won the election, meaning liberals. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's certainly what Obama presented himself to be was a liberal. And then he doesn't govern like a liberal. He governs like as, as if the... The conservatives are still pulling his strings, which they are. So that's why the liberals go. Well, when do we get? Because we need a liberal. Uh, if the, we had a, if we had FDR right now, we'd be much better off mm-hmm. than we, than we have right now. Which is what we have: a black Bill Clinton. We have a centrist. Yeah. We have a guy who, for whatever reason, thinks half measures are good enough to fix our problems right now. The good thing about Bill Clinton was we didn't have big problems back in the '90s like right. we have right now. So right now, a centrist is not what we need right now. We need a guy who didn't read Lincoln but read FDR and Teddy Roosevelt, yeah. and and needs to come back and level the playing field again. And the, and the consequence of not doing that, and the reason why it's a big deal, is because we're going to lose the country, meaning we have lost the middle class. People now have internalized the bullshit that the corporate media has been feeding them, meaning uh, 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 not only if you're – if you don't have something in America, it's because you don't deserve it, and it's because you are lazy, or you're, it's a moral failing on your part. Like pe- poor people think that because they don't have health care, they don't deserve it. Like it's, 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 you know, it's the, uh, hegemony is the, as far as I can tell, part of it is the internalization of the ruling class's values. And that's exactly what has happened. They want you to believe that if you, uh, you don't get health care, if you don't get education, if you don't get those things, it's because you don't deserve them because you you're somehow worked, a bad you person. You haven't worked hard enough. Yes. It's somehow this, this idea of a free market, which doesn't exist. There's no such thing as a free market. Right. They go, let the free market. There is no, as if. Human beings were driving down the road and they saw a place called free market and we pulled in. We invented markets. 
Human beings More invent markets. They invent markets just like they invent fire departments to serve the community. And when the market doesn't, so now it's been reversed. We are, the markets are no longer serving us. We're serving the market, meaning we're fucking over investment in America to give money to the banks. Go ahead. Well, that's the that was that's the thing is is it's not we invented this market. The rich people who are profiting from that's actually right. I I mm-hmm. actually read something last night that I was going to bring to the table here. There's a in Foreign Affairs magazine. There's an article, um, and I, I I have it on my uh, iPhone. I'll look it up later. But um, there's an article that basically says that that says that this the last you know thirty years of uh, economic development has benefited the rich, and here's why. We all know this. We all have a feeling that this is true, but this is, you know, the, the guy lays out his arguments that shows, no, it, it, no, this really, everything that has happened, all the lobbying, all the money mm-hmm. has created a system where the, it, it's, it's designed so that the rich can basically milk the poor and the middle class and get richer. What is it? 1960, uh, was it 9%? Of the nine percent of the population controlled uh, most of the wealth. Now it's yes. Are they? Are the, I can the give top, you a stat. Top, yeah, I'll give you a stat from David Stockman, who was who was Ronald Reagan's budget director. He said uh, since 1980, the upper five percent in America has accumulated more wealth than was even created than the world had even created before 1980. Right. That's how much wealth they have accumulated, and that's that's called. Is that a free market or is that a market rigged to help the people? So now these people come in, they start, they set up a banking system where they gamble with our money. They they sell you insurance policies they could never pay off if you had to cash them in, and they don't care because the government's going to come and back them up, and that's exactly what. And so then the government gives Goldman Sachs a trillion dollars, and they at zero percent interest, and they put it to you at a credit card at fifteen percent interest. That's how they're making money. They're not. They don't deserve to make that kind of money. They're not financial wizards. There's a rigged system that's called a screwed up economy right now, and that's why we're not investing anything in America because. There's better places to invest it, like China, who, which they don't. You don't have to worry about unions in China. You don't have to worry about environmental regulations in China. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. And then we don't put a tariff on the products coming from China, but they put tariffs on our shit going to mm-hmm. China. And the reason why we don't do that is because the business owners in America own Congress. So the business owners in America want to be able to import shit from China and sell it here, so they don't get a tariff. So that's that. And so that's so those those are just really you know that's a. Uh, just a couple of things what's wrong with the system but that's really what's wrong with the system and people don't think that it's 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 um it, they they've been told hey we can't afford to give everybody health care we can't afford to what well, we can afford two wars we can afford to have 30,000 people in Korea and Japan and 50,000 people in Germany we have a city in Germany if you've ever been there i've been there <laughs> they have hospitals they have the nightclubs they have their own fucking airport in Germany our army does the yeah, US yeah, yeah. military i've been there they've had for 40 years yes before <laughs> and they ain't never going anywhere and we, so and they, and they just built a whole new one another city in in Iraq and i just love what you know we've all heard somebody make a variation of the joke of well you know they don't show you the good stuff to do in Afghanistan they're building <laughs> they're, they're building hospitals. They're building schools. Hey, why don't we take those guys and bring them over to Detroit? How about we fucking build some schools and hospitals in Detroit? Somehow we're going to be able to fix Afghanistan. We can't fix fucking Cleveland. They've been trying to fix Cleveland <laughs> since 1960. They can't. And we're going to somehow <laughs> fix Afghanistan and Iraq? Of course not. The reason why we're there is because someone's making a lot of money off of being us being there. 
Well, and that's why we're there. And, the, and you know, when Eisenhower said 50, 60 years ago, we have to resist the influence of the military industrial complex. He wasn't kidding around. And guess what? We didn't. Yeah. And, and, they, and, they, and, and so we keep spending our money on shit we don't need. And then the stuff that we need, like education and health care, they go, no, we can't afford that stuff. And that's a bullshit lie. Well, there's because no money we know it. we can afford Right. There's no money in it. Right. But Americans are perfect suckers. They'll pay their taxes and they, and they never revolt. Like, look at what's happening in Greece and, and what's happening in England. And what's ha- they, they went after uh, the prince, right? Oh, I know, yeah, yeah. And in his car, like, why? And those are students. Like, those I have students. to pay more money to go to college, but you, this motherfucker doesn't even work. And he's driving around in a limousine? For what? And I can't go to college? <laughs> yeah. It's why the rich are getting richer American politics, politics in the second Gilded Age. By Robert Lieberman. Oh it's, yes, it's it's on. Um, People don't know what the Gilded Age for, Foreign Affairs magazine. What the what the Gilded Age refers to is that it, it is at a time in America when everything looked great on the surface, but everything was fucked up underneath. Yeah. And it took Teddy Roosevelt. To, if you look back to when the disparity between the rich and poor happened like this before, it was in the uh, late 1800s. Yep. Robert and then, Burns. And then, and yes, and then Teddy Roosevelt had to come along and break up the monopolies. And they used to call them trusts back then. I mean, and, and he took them on. So here's my question. Um, to bring it back to Dennis Miller, how does somebody that you and I idolized who had long hair and was a smart and Gene idolized and was a smart ass to idolize. I certainly idolized them. And and hung out with Henry Rollins on his HBO show. How does that guy become a Fox News pundit to the who's to the far right of my dad in Phoenix, Arizona? Because he's afraid, I think. I think um it must, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing that people try to answer. I don't know. I mean, Dennis Miller is still a, a sharp as attack as far as that goes to wit, but he's using his, you know, he's using your, now you're using your comedy for evil. You know, you're not using your comedy to shine a light on something or to make people realize a greater truth. You're just doing the same thing they do on Fox. You're, you're using comedy to push an ideology and it doesn't matter if it's true to you. And it's just weird to see now you're using comedy in aid of the bully. Well, yes. I wonder too. It's, it's the opposite of what comedy is supposed to be. You're now using it to bully. It's like I, when I saw him sit there and, and, and to use, to sit on his perch and, and uh, to use comedy to further ignorance, which is what, you know, we, we just find out now that uh, the head of Fox News gave memos that told people to, whenever he referred to the public option, call it the government option. And why is that? So we can confuse people, so that people are informed and can make a better choice, but because, so they can be misinformed and we can continue to screw them. And so Dennis Miller goes, yeah, I want to be on that side. I want to be on the side of people, miss the opposite of what comedy is supposed, comedy is the only thing that's supposed to sit there. That's why I, as a liberal, make fun of Barack Obama. That's, and, and they would never do that. Dennis Miller said, I give George Bush a pass on my show. He's going to get a pass. Well, what is the, well, what's the, what good are you then? You're a comedian and you're not going to make fun of the king. Well, what the, I'm going to tune into your show. Why? And I guess what? No one did. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You're a comedian. You're not. You don't use it. And, and John Stewart still going strong. Bill Maher still going strong. That's what con- conservatives aren't. Conservatives don't do comedy. Conservatives are the reason we need comedy in the first fucking place. I think. I think the the the, the thing for me is this sort of gelled when you were talking earlier. Is we started talking about the Gilded Age and Teddy Roosevelt. I think the difference here is Teddy Roosevelt was going up against guys. 
He was fighting robber barons. He was fighting the steel trusts and the oil trusts that were guys. Guys in a mansion sitting on a hill with waistcoats, you know, eating seven-course lobster dinners going, how are we going to screw the American pop- populace out of, you know, put them in our mills and make them run our steamboats. Yeah. And, and and he could go, there's no accountability. I mean, you could walk into J. Pierpoint Morgan's house and punch him in the nose if you wanted to, and that would be the end of, of you know, J.P. Morgan. It, it, it's it. Now we have huge corporations that get tons and tons of money, federal relief, and more rights than human beings have because they yes. made money even if they had speech. even if they had exactly the same amount of rights as human beings have, they're not human beings. Yeah. Right? You know, it's like there's there's no accountability. Ultimately, there's no accountability, and that to me is the the two things that are hugely different. We don't have a human face to corporations. They can they yes. they've dehumanized. Yes, it, it, they've done what the Nazis couldn't do. Yes, which is create a perfect machine for dehumanization. And we don't have well put. We don't have it, it back in the day of, of 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 yellow journalism when you had a paper that you knew was going to be this is the voice of the worker, this is the right. voice of big business or whatever. We, we we've we had for a golden era. Journalism who, journalists who cared about delivering what the people needed to hear. Now we have the veneer of that, so you can have a Fox News yes. that is purport, purporting to say what people want, but they really are as bad or worse than I'm going to say worse than yellow journalistic rags from the 1890s, 1900s, where you knew you were getting a biased opinion. You might stand by it, and you might say, "Well, my paper is the journal, and they propose the the Whig Party's stance, right. and I'm a firm believer in blah blah blah." But now you get you you know, and I think this goes for pretty much all of our news sources that aren't raw feeds that you get the news from yourself, Reuters and people like that. I think everybody has their bias. Fox News is probably the most egregious because, like you say, they're intentionally obfuscating issues. You know, once you get to that point, then. Fuck well, you guys. You know, and it's <laughs> not and people say, well, don't you think that MSNBC pushes an ideology? And my whole my whole thing is I don't mind someone having an ideology. I don't think MSM MSNBC's mission is to misinform people before that ideology. Precisely, precisely. That is the that is the yeah, big yeah. difference. Yeah, like I said, there's you, always gonna be a bias. There's I don't have a problem with the yeah, bias. Yeah, yeah. I have a problem with someone misrepresenting facts yeah. and then pretending to so uh and and the, and as if the regular corporate media, like the Katie Couric's and the Brian Williams and and the CNNs and the Anderson Coop, as if those people aren't completely already bought by the people we need to be fighting. They're owned by the corporation. So, so let's say Brian Williams works for General. He works for NBC, which yep. is owned by General Gee. Electric. General Electric, which is one of the biggest defense contractors sure. in the world. They make engines. And they also owned MSNBC. So when MSNBC had a show on in the run up to the to the Iraq War, which General Electric really wanted to have happen, uh, they fired Phil Donahue, which was the only guy on MSNBC who was speaking against the war, uh, and he had their highest-rated show on that network at the time. Now, granted, it wasn't a great rating, but it was still the highest-rated show on yeah. MSNBC, which was a brand-new network, right. and they got rid of him. Why? Because he didn't line up with what the corporation wanted to sell some war, and they weren't on board. So it's not the same thing, MSNBC and Fox News. And it's, it's been studied. It's been studied. So this is an opinion. It's been studied twice now uh, that the people who watch Fox News are the 
the most uninformed yeah. or the most misinformed. The axis of ignorance. Yes. So they don't know. So they're wrong. They, they have the misconceptions <laughs> on the big issues of the day. Yeah. They, have the, they have the wrong information. So it doesn't matter. You know, it's like that book, What's Wrong with Kansas? You know, why do these people keep voting against their own economic interests? It's because, well, because they've been fooled. Yeah. And, you know, whenever someone takes over a country in a, in a hostile, um, take, uh, in a coup, mm-hmm. the first thing they do is they used to do this. I don't know if they still do. They used to take over the media. Oh, yeah, yeah. TV stations. Take over the TV and radio. Well, they did it in America, but they did it without guns. They did it. They bought it. They They got Bill Clinton to deregulate all the media, which he did. And then they all bought... So now all the media is owned by like five... Again, there's like five guys... Go back and watch. There's a movie network, right? We've all heard of that movie. <laughs> yeah. And there's that scene where uh, Ned Beatty is talking to, the, uh, giving him the speech about, you know, you've upset the the structure of capitalism. You know, there are no countries. There are only companies. There are only dollars, petrodollars, and chemical dollars, and pharmaceutical dollars. That's all that matters. There are no countries. There's only Exxon. And uh, he couldn't have been. Uh, that was. From the 70s, yeah, that's he said that. Now, ago, now, yeah. now, accelerate that after 40 years of Reagan, 30 years of Reaganomics, you know, trickle down. I mean, people don't realize there wasn't a homeless, quote unquote, homeless problem in this country until Ronald Reagan. And then all of a sudden, we, it's just something we accept. The richest country in the world, there's people you have to step over every day. Yeah. And, and those people are mentally ill. Right. That's what's wrong with those people. They used to be in insane asylums, and then Ronald Reagan defunded the cities, the, the things, and so now where did they put them? They didn't put them anywhere. Yeah. They put them on the fucking street. Right. It would have been it would have been kinder to put a bullet in their heads. Yes, yes it would have been. And uh, but but it's seen again if you're if you're poor, if you're mentally ill, if you it's somehow your fault. You're you're morally uh, substandard. It's yeah. a, it's a, it's it's now it's the demonization of the poor. It's the opposite of Christianity, and it's the corporatization of our culture, uh, and it's the coarsening of our culture too. Where people just don't you don't got health care good good you don't deserve it. <laughs> you know Bill O'Reilly, you don't have health care. Earn it. I earned. He, that's a quote. I earned my health care. That's what Bill O'Reilly says. And my whole thing is health care is supposed to be like clean water. It's something that society just provides to its people because we're human beings and we figure out the way or, or, or a fire department. You don't we, we figure out what this is something we all need. You don't go up to somebody. You don't make somebody. Hey, do you want the polio vaccine? Well, you have to earn it. You give it to them. You don't. So you don't walk up to them 20 years later. You have polio. Well, that's because you're a slacker. Yeah. <laughs> if you would worked harder, if your yeah. parents had worked harder. Yeah, sorry, your parents uh, were slackers, but I've not- earned. I've had to earn. I think my path. And we, I think we talked about this in the show. My path has been harder than a lot of people, and I've had to earn all of what I've had in my life. But frankly, why are you going to begrudge somebody? You know, why are you going to begrudge somebody? And and we've been on government assistance before. You know, we've had the government cheese and we've had the food. Stores. You know who else has been on government assistance? Goldman Sachs, a, Bank of America, and to Wells the tune Fargo. Of, to the tune of more than a hundred bucks a week Exxon. of food yes. stamps. Yes. But that's the thing is why begrudge people? I, would I love to live in a country where everybody can pull themselves up by their own bootstraps and we have the minimum amount of government? Possible, absolutely. That's what everyone wants. Absolutely. That's a straw man to think that you know people go, "Oh, you liberals, you want government to do everything." No, we want government to do the things right. that that aren't adequately taken care of by the quote unquote free market. Right. Government can do certain things and do it better. Government can deliver healthcare better than the private quote certainly, unquote free market. Certainly, they can deliver healthcare better than someone who doesn't have it now. 
the VA, the Veterans Administration, right? Uh, this is a perfect example. They were notorious for years of having shitty health care. Yep. They gave shitty health care to the veterans. And how can we do this? How can we do this to our veterans, all right? So Bill Clinton, uh, to go, uh, get, for whatever reason, I'm sure all of them were political. Right. Decided to, uh, let's fix the VA system of health care. And he appointed some guy and said, go do it. And he gave this guy all this power. And they did it. Yeah, they to the point where the VAs, the way they they computerize all their records, to where they are state of the art now, right? To where people who get their care through the VA uh, rate their care better than every other healthcare system, including Medicare. So it's oh, so it's so that whole thing of government screws up everything is bullshit. And that's as a liberal, I know government can do. You know what made homeownership possible for for people in America? It was when when. Uh, FDR established uh, Fannie Mae, right? So he was like, he invented the 30-year fixed mortgage. FDR did. And he did all this shit overnight. Yeah. He did this shit. He got, elect- he yeah, got yeah, sworn yeah. in in January. By fucking March, this shit was yeah. instituted. Yeah. It wasn't like Obama. We're going to let you guys piss on my health care plan for a whole summer. I have no political plan to, to, to go fight against you. It none. He had no political plan to fight against. I'm just going to let everybody, the whole country go crazy. I'm going to let the corporate media fucking shit all over me. And I'm not, I don't have any plan to go. But that's what, that's what makes me think that things are really far gone is because I just honestly think that, I honestly think that, that it's all, it's, it's, everyone's in everyone's pocket. I mean, it's, it's. That's what, you know what? You just hit on something. It's it's like pro wrestling. You know, Mm -hmm. you have one side or the other and they yell at each other a lot and they stomp their fists and nothing of substance gets done unless it's pork. George Bush got a lot of people angry. Uh, Barack Obama got a lot of people interested in politics. And now Barack Obama is making cynics. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. A generation of people he's making cynics out of. You know, his plan to fix education is break teachers unions and privatize education. Uh, that's not a, that's not a democratic value. No, that's not what built this country. What, stri- strike breaking is not a democratic value. What? <laughs> Calling in the Pinkertons on teachers is. And let me just say something, you know. And, and again, there's 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 like that that movie Waiting for Superman that I, talked about what we have to do is we have to privatize education, we have to make charter schools, and we have to get rid of teachers unions. And I always say to people, if you go to the best schools in America, they have teacher unions. If you go to the worst schools in America, they have teacher unions. Yeah. So uh, when you can extrapolate that somehow it's the teacher unions that make the bad schools bad, but they don't make the good schools bad. That doesn't make sense to me. What happens is you have failing communities, so you're going to have failing schools. If you have successful, you go to Thrive, you think the school is is, is failing in uh, in Beverly Hills? You think it's failing in Westwood? You think the public schools are failing in Venice? I just no. I just watch Waiting for Super... I, I see, I think I think there's there's more nuance to it, but I think I think the 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 thrust that I saw, which was pretty awful in that movie, was that the union rules protect the worst teachers. But I think you also don't hear the side of, but the union rules also protect the good teachers. Right. So I don't know what agenda that movie serves necessarily. Right. You know, it's, and let's look at teaching. Bef- let's take, let's look at the teaching profession before unions. Right. And uh, how are you know none of those which they barely touch on. when people talk about teaching. On. And, and education reform, it's always, again, with this, this kind of puritanical, I want to punish someone. 
And it's they always want to punish the teacher because everyone has a grudge against teachers. But what nobody ever comes up with an idea of how are we going to attract better people to be teachers? How come we're stuck with all these shitty teachers? I don't know. Maybe because nobody wants to be a fucking teacher. Are you kidding me? Well, the, the only in that in that movie, the only the, the, the woman that was running the D.C. school district that finally made that compromise and said, OK, here's what we're going to do. You know, we'll give you more money if you agree to allow us to fire you if you're incompetent right, right you know and you're still under contract and if you don't want to do that if mm-hmm. you want to remain in what you're mm-hmm. doing you're just going to get your regular mm-hmm. raise otherwise we'll give you bonuses if you do well and and that got shot down i mean that seemed like an interesting you know the problem is was you go well first of all michelle ree who was in charge yeah, of fixing the washington dc schools you know how many years she had in the classroom i'll tell you two yeah it two was, years it was teaching nil, second nil. grade arnie duncan who's barack obama appointed to fix schools you know how many years he has teaching zero so what what other profession would you ask people who doesn't know you know yeah. wouldn't you go to a master teacher hey what do you think other teach what would help other schools right, right, right. or go to a principal who's learned how to take not, no yeah. we have two people no fucking experience in education and they know what's wrong with education isn't that fucking suspect it is to me and oh, yeah, guess yeah. what she didn't fix Washington D.C. and we're hers and you know she, she wants people to uh, uh, we want their pay tied to their performance right. the problem is how do you tie a fifth grade English teachers uh, pay to their performance if the fourth grade teacher sucked. Agreed, agreed. Or if half of her class is transient and comes in and out every year, like a lot of... So so that's the problem with that. The problem... What they don't... And then, if you also noticed in that movie, they talked about when when the teachers show up, they're they're not ready to teach. So... What we have is we have we, nobody says we need to start with better teaching programs in colleges. They don't say that. Right. They don't say, well, let's study the what are the countries who continuously kick our ass? Why don't we go study what are they doing? You know why? Because what they're doing is shit we don't want to do here. Yep. What the shit they're doing there, like Finland, right? Finland. They have three teachers in every class. Three, not one. What we're doing in America is firing teachers and raising class sizes right now that's mm-hmm. what we're doing so now well because it's austerity yes austerity so so apparently we don't want to do what the, we're upset that other countries are beating us right but we don't want to do what they're doing to so when, when when arnie duncan said or barack obama says we want to make a radical change in education you go oh radical you mean like hire an extra teacher for every classroom that kind of radical oh no 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 we mean bust the teachers unions and raise class size <laughs> that's what they mean and here's one more thing i'll leave you with um, about about charter schools four out of five charter schools first of all you have to realize what charter schools were invented for charter schools were supposed to be little incubators little experimental places and then you experimented with a lot of shit and you saw what worked and what didn't and the stuff that worked you replicated throughout the rest of the public school system and the stuff that didn't work you didn't replicate right. well that's not what's happening now the goal is to have a charter school charter schools doing whatever the fuck they want nothing being replicated no, nobody's studying charter schools and four out of five charter schools perform no better or worse than the rest of the public schools in their district. That means four out of five charter schools are failing. <laughs> failing. Charter schools are failing. You're bringing facts into this, Jimmy. Okay. <laughs> Stop that. Because only, only 20% of charter schools do better, do better than the public schools in their district. So that means four out of five are failing. Yeah. Anyway, so that so so the, I, I'm telling you, if you want if you want to fix education, how about we put an extra teacher in every classroom? That would be by people. Go, What's your solution? That would be my solution. How much would that cost us? I don't know. Maybe a couple of billion dollars a year. I think we have it. We spend six. How many? Uh, we're spending a hundred billion dollars a year in Afghanistan. We could take that money, hire forty teachers. We're, for we're every building classroom. we're building schools and putting teachers in Afghanistan. We are we are doing that. hearts and minds. <laughs> 
I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't mean to get. Do no. I get too uh, spirited or something or wonkish? That's, or? No, that's why we have you on. Not no, at all. Okay. No, no. I like to talk about this stuff in a funny way in my stand-up act, <laughs> which I. Now you write jokes around these topics. I certainly do. I, I have. Well, my, here's my joke about the, the, the thing. You know, Barack Obama says he wants to tie teachers' pay to their performance. I say, great. Let's tie Barack Obama's pay to his performance. <laughs> you know, if we yeah. still have unemployment at 10 percent come February, uh, I say he loses Secret Service after five o'clock. <laughs> I bet you come oh. March. We get that unemployment number down. <laughs> I bet he gets it down. Or Biden will. Yeah, or Biden. Oh, ha, ha. Ha, ha. No, Biden will keep it up. Yeah. Yeah, he wanted us to lose his six. So, so, so he's the only, so teachers are the only people. So those, are the, those would be some of the jokes that I have around. Yeah. Look at that. Because we're now, we're still bonusing bankers and we're firing teachers because that's what we're going to need to get us out of this depression. Yeah, I, I just, dumber kids. I don't know. Yeah, totally. I don't know. Uh, the, the, the other thing, too, is... is uh, Talking about um, you know how how things have have gotten kind of crummy is the uh, I, I I'm going to make a prediction and say that um, regular media is already kind of gone um, with the internet the regulation of the internet coming I think we're going to see free quote unquote free internet access going away oh corporate yes c- corporate interest extending to the internet. I mean, even more so than they already are. It, I mean, it's kind of higgledy piggledy now. It's like a lot of advertising and BS like that. But but the ability to regulate Look what they did to WikiLeaks. Yeah, you know why can't they? Why couldn't they do that to John Stewart? I mean, unless John Stewart has a big corporate backer, which he does, Viacom. So they won't. Say, do, so. so they won't do it. So if you don't have a big corporate backer, they'll just shut you down. They'll make yeah. it hard for people to get to your website. Yeah. They won't. They won't let you be able to take money from Mastercard. So so Mastercard now and Visa, they're the ones who are a judge and jury. They're the ones who can tell me. Yeah. Because, so, so say they co- they control finance around the the world. So if the finance people want to shut you down, they can without a trial, which is what they did to Julius Assange. They mm-hmm. shut him down without a fucking trial. And now, by the way, not only are, are we torturing Muslims, but we're also torturing our own soldiers before a trial. The guy who gave the information to WikiLeaks has been held in solitary confinement for the last seven months, which the UN considers torture. So we're now torturing and our own soldiers before they're going to trial. That's the result of well, splashing a little water in the face of some Muslims in Guantanamo Bay. Don't you love people who would say that, by the way? Right, they right, would right. go, oh, we're just going to splash some water in some guy's face. If it was just splashing water, why would it work? <laughs> yeah, why would it work? I wouldn't so wanna... now, that, that for someone who says that has been shown to be a disingenuous person. You're not honest. So you're not coming at this conversation. You don't really care about the facts. You just want to be able to torture these motherfuckers. I, I, yeah, which is fine. Which is fine. If you're, if you're coming out and saying, look, you know what? If someone had my family held in a shipping container at San Pedro and I could put a bullet in their leg and find out where they were and save their lives, I would totally do that. I'm, I, you know, I love my wife. I love my kid. Mm-hmm. Not a problem. I have no problem. Me too. You know, and, and I think that's fair. But... You know, the flip side is: Do you want this as an institutional policy? You want the government? state, yes, the state torturing state. people exactly. as a as a matter of practice. And right. you and uh, I'm going to come down on no because <laughs> because what people have learned over the centuries is that when you give the power to the state to torture people, they torture indiscriminately and they start to use or it for accidentally. political or accidentally. Let's just even say. Let's just even say. Even <laughs> yes, you know it's it's. It, it's it just yeah. again, people go well. I don't mind if when the Patriot Act, uh, I would have reasonable people, people who I would let babysit my kids, say to me, "Well, I don't care if the government uh, taps my phone and goes through my emails. I'm, I don't got I'm, anything to hide." 
What happens when you want to, um, let's say you have a corrupt sheriff in your town and you want to get rid of him and you're organizing a campaign. Well, now he's tapping your phone and he's going through your emails and he knows and he can put you in jail and he can he can thwart your campaign against him. And he can let's say you're you're uncovering facts that are uncomfortable to the people in power and government. And now they tap your phone. They can just you're done with. That's what's wrong. That's why you need that's why you need protection from the government, because once you uncover some malfeasance in the government and they can tap your phone without a warrant, you're fucked. And then the and that's what people don't realize. Well, why would the government ever do something bad? Because the government is full of people and people are corruptible. Yeah, that's why I I take it. You've uh, talked to the editors of the Phoenix New Times because that's what happened to them. And and what happened Arpaio situation? Exactly what you described. Oh yeah, and I know that Troy Conrad's a mutual friend of ours. Okay, um, and also from Phoenix. Yes, um, I didn't know that happened with them. Yes, that you described the exact scenario. Uh, and our did they get tapped did, under the Patriot Patriot Act or? Well, no, it wasn't under the was Patriot it just, Act. They just being dicks. But it was a, a corrupt. It is a corrupt sheriff, sure, sure, Joe sure. Arpaio. Yes, and uh, who is now being federally probed, <laughs> uh, which isn't very. I hope they're I probing him deeply. Yes, yeah. and. Um, he, the Phoenix New Times, have been doing articles on Arpaio for years. Um, he's targeted them. He's had the editors arrested and their hard drives confiscated. And he's done this uh, pretty much the same thing to opponents of his in campaign. Yes, he's done that. I know that to opponents for sure. If somebody's investigating him, he tries to he gets their computers. He seizes everything. Yes, but, but I'm gonna say I'm gonna say if this is good old fashioned Dukes of Hazard style sheriff corruption, I'm all for that more so than I am for. A federal government that has broad police powers and and the ability to arrest and torture people. Uh, That's always going to happen. I'm against both. I'm certainly, <laughs> I'm certainly against both. I'm going to go on record as saying yeah. I'm against both. But I understand. I understand corruption and crime. I do not understand the the divesting yourself of your personal freedoms in the name of something that you don't understand and the the the. Repercussions of which you can't imagine. I think because the reality is too would be too unsettling for most people to actually accept the 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 reality of when did we become become pussies in this country? When did we become such pussies in this country? I think somewhere uh, when we when we stopped when we got rid of the draft. I would say when we got rid of the draft because now we're no longer tied to any. There's we don't have to pay the price for anything, and the and and the price that is paid for stuff is only paid by someone else. You know, that's how we feel anyway, until, okay. until it's us, until it becomes you, until right. it's... It used to be, uh, you saw who was paying the price for a war. The kid down the street got killed, or your nephew, or your niece, or somebody was like, could get killed at any moment, so you wanted to know what was going on. People don't even know. We're still in a war. Yeah. People go, what? There's a war? Huh? And meanwhile... <laughs> there's, there's more than and they <laughs> And they can't put the connection between they're firing a teacher, and we still have a war. Hey, they're cutting your Medicare benefits, and we still have a war. Hey, they're going to start cutting your Social Security, something that adds zero to the deficit, has never added to the deficit. They're ta- Why did the Deficit Commission go, we have to cut Social Security? It doesn't add to the deficit. It never added to the deficit. Why are you guys even fucking looking at Social Security? Why? Because they want to get rid of Social Security, because there's a thing called the New Deal, yeah, right. which was FDR said to America basically this. If you're willing to work 40 hours a week, no matter what that job is, we're gonna, you're going to be able to make it. If you work 40 hours a week, you're going to be... And then if you have some disability where you can't because you have a disability, you're going to be able to be okay too because it's America and we can take care of everybody and we're, gonna, we're not going to let it be a plutocracy. Well, 
that carried the day for a long time. But those there were people fighting against FDR back then. Oh yeah, and they fought until well, and they are the now new, new Deal got kicked out, and they won. And they have now won. They've been trying to repeal the New Deal, but at the same time, they want the New Deal for corporations. They don't want the New Deal for people. Yeah, yeah. They don't want workers to have rights. They don't want the wealth to be spread around. They want the New Deal for yeah. the banks and for the corporations. They want, I mean, if you knew all the money the Fed was giving, because the Fed had to give money to corporations just to stay open. Oh, yeah. That was all secret. And they had to, and it was Ron Paul, I think, had to make them come and let us know all the inner loans that were going on inside government. Anyway, there's lots of socialism for the corporations, and 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 the corporation doesn't want the people to have socialism. But 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 you see, and they trick the people into thinking that it's moral that somehow capitalism is moral that it, somehow there's a there's it's a, the free market, Jimmy. The free market, which I already explained, doesn't exist. Let's just if people can just remember one thing from this podcast. <laughs> remember this: that we you know capitalism is invented. Free markets are invented and then regulated by human beings, and you decide. And to show you how much capitalism has failed us, right now we have a war going on in Afghanistan that we can't pay for as capitalists, so we're borrowing money from China. We're a bunch of capitalists borrowing money from a bunch of communists so we can bring democracy to a bunch of Muslims who don't even fucking want it. Right. It's a tribal fight. We're, we're trying to break up. It's it's like the, if it's a civil war. If, if I was gonna, if this this is the thing, is 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 this? I, I think I figured out the analogy that can make Americans understand what we're in for in Afghanistan and and uh, and Iraq. It's a big multifamily Irish brawl. That's what it is. Which it's, Jimmy, you can relate to. Being I can from relate like to Irish family. It's yeah. it's it's a bunch. It's a bunch of dumb mix. They're all drunk and they're fighting. Hey, each wait, other. wait, wait! You're talking to. Someone. I'm okay. I'm a dumb mix too. Okay. I'm saying. So we're all dumb mix here. I'm table. saying we are all dumb. No, I'm such a dumb. <laughs> I'm such a dumb mix that my when my my family immigrated uh, over, they said they were Welsh because they didn't want to be thought of as Irish. Really? Yeah. For years and years, I thought I Me. was Welsh. You I was and Irish you and Catherine's later Jones. <laughs> I was Welsh. That side of the family, Irish. We dropped the the <laughs> McGee. We were McGees. We dropped the Mick off, and we're G's. G E E on my other side. Yeah. There's another, another comic, uh, David G. Right? Yeah. He's. Yeah. Oh, maybe I wonder if that happened with maybe. me. But I'm yeah. Dor D O R E, which I think is a, it's an Irish name, obviously, because um, Irish. And my grandpa was Ireland, but I, it's, a, it's a French surname that it must have been somebody from France went to Ireland, banged somebody in Ireland. Yeah. Well, the Scots and the Irish fought in the Continental Wars all over Europe. Oh, okay. So French mercenaries or, or uh, Irish mercenaries and Scots mercenaries. There's um, there's uh, parts of Poland that have uh, like weird Highland like dialects. Because of the Scots mercenaries that settled there. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the Celts. Well, he, but that's the thing is the Celts, that's what I'm saying is it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Iraq, Afghanistan, they're just a bunch of dumb brawlers and they're always going to fight. They're always going to find reasons and one tribe well, yes. is going to come up on top and, and someone else is going to knock them down. Boom. For Christ's sake, the Irish, the Protestants, and the Catholics. Same thing. They, they find a reason. Same thing. Yes. 600 years. Same yeah. thing. We're, getting, you, we're sticking our face into that and that never goes well. I have a dream, though. Don't you think it would have been nice if, you know, whenever, you know when, when guys like the Texas Governor Perry say we have secession and the 10th, you want to go, <laughs> you want to go, boy, wouldn't that be nice? You know, wouldn't that be nice? Let's, let's, let's let Texas secede and then just build a wall. How about that? And then we'll build a wall. 
How about that? But would it have been nice? No, seriously, I say if, if, if Abraham Lincoln could have found a way to end slavery, but, but let the South go. Go ahead, start your own country. We'll right. be friendly like we are with Canada. Right. You know, they, who cares if we keep the, the who cares? And then they can have their own little incubation of ignorance. And, uh, and I understand that not everybody who lives in the South is ignorant, but I understand that overwhelming their, their politics are, okay? I don't, right. you know, they're, they're the quote-unquote right-to-work states, meaning we get to exploit you and you don't get to have the protection of unions. That's called right-to-work yeah. because, you know, Orwell uh, has... So um, it, wouldn't that have been nice? And then, and then you can compare. We have, we have a country that is made up of, of places like New York and California mm-hmm. and Washington and, and, and uh, Oregon. And, and then we have a country made up of places like Mississippi and Alabama and Oklahoma and Texas. Yeah. And Nevada. And we, and, and we see what kind of ideas they came up with yeah. and we see what kind of ideas we came up with. I think it would be great. The yeah. problem is this country is tried to be ruled as if we are one country. I, I don't... Uh, what's the what's great about having it be? I mean, it's not like there would be a fucking border fence and I couldn't go to Nevada if I wanted to. Right. You know what I mean? It would be... I think it would be just like going to Canada. It would be great. And you get to see how they do things worse. And they get to see maybe they would do some things better. Except the Border Patrol would be showgirls, which would be kind of awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they would do some things better, though. I bet it would be great. Maybe it would be like when you go down to, you know, when you go to uh, New Orleans. Remember, it was like the Wild West as far as anything goes. Maybe that's what it would be like all over the South. Maybe. I don't think so. I don't know. I think think it would be awful. (laughs) I mean, I think there would still be. It's parts of it are pretty awful. And I think it would still be. Awful. And they still. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong. Do the, do the red states not take more money federally? Like I know Alaska is what would be considered a welfare state yeah. because they take more money from the federal government than they give to the also, federal government. But it's also. I, I mean, I think it's also mostly federal land up there too. I mean, it's mostly yeah. federally. The, the freaking five hundred thousand people live in the whole state. Yeah. Am I wrong about that? Mm. It's like some. It's less than a million people live in Canada. Yeah. Am I wrong? Yeah. Google it. I'll look it up. I'm going to look this up. Well, we do that. I'm going to say I've been it. to Canada. I mean, I've been to Alaska. I've been, <laughs> I've been to, to Canada. I don't want to brag, but I've been to Canada. <laughs> I've been to Alaska several times. And uh, you go, like, where, where, Anchorage is the um, capital. Is that mm-hmm. the capital? Yeah. Or Fairbanks? Or Juneau? Juneau, Juneau. No, Juneau is the capital. Yeah. So Fairbanks, it must be that that's where it's landlocked. Like, you can't drive to Fairbanks. You can only get there by a helicopter or by a boat. Mm-hmm. Right? So nobody, like, you can't steal a car. And Fairbanks. Well, you can. You're just really dumb. If yeah, you there's no place to go or sell because you can't get off the right. There's nowhere to go. <laughs> the episodes of Cops end abruptly. Yeah. <laughs> you can find us on the internet at shakytownradio.com. You can Twitter us at, at shakytownradio. You can like us on Facebook at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash shakytownradio. Send us an email at shakytownradio at gmail.com or call us on the Shakytown Radio hotline at 626-66-SHAKE. That's 667-4253. That's the same number. The music on this episode is Be Afraid of Jesus from the band Andrew Jackson Jihad. They're old friends of mine from Phoenix, Arizona. We used to play open mics uh, at a coffee house where they worked at. Um, And now they are touring across the nation. They're on Asian Man Records. Um, They've done a couple splits uh, with other bands on Planet X Records. And they're wonderful guys and wonderful music, lots of stuff. Uh, you can go buy their albums, and you can even download some free stuff on andrewjacksonjihad.com. Let's get back to our conversation with Jimmy Dore. I'm not smart. It's what I tell people is that I'm just, I just have more time to get informed, and I'm not afraid of where the facts will lead me. Yeah. And, um... Well, that's an open mind, and that's what people should have. Yeah. 
you know, as long as you check your, that's the thing is what I want to teach my daughter regardless is the ability to educate herself. And that means don't be afraid that your opinion might be wrong. When you look at the facts and you check those facts and those facts can stand, you need to adjust your opinion. Right. You know? And once you do that, that's what you do. <laughs> that's how you live your life. That's how, and then you act that's, accordingly. That's called, that's a good system for getting smarter. Yeah. That's a good, that's how you can talk, you know, that's called intelligence. Yeah. You know. It's called critical thinking. Yes, critical yeah. thinking. And that's what they're not teaching in schools anymore. Hopefully I figured that out on my own. <laughs> so, Jimmy, I want to ask you, um, having come up against this wall of, of misinformation, disinformation um, out in the world, out in the media, how do you and your writers for... Now, I mean, obviously on comedy and everything else, it's a conversation with comedians. It's very second nature at this point. Right. But you have... Like, and there's everything else. And everything else. Yes. Um, same, but with the, with the, the KPFK show and pop and politics as well at the UCB, you have to really tackle it like homework. Yeah. So how does that process work? I know um, that you work with uh, Troy Conrad, Ben Zalavansky, uh, Paul Gilmartin's a contributor, uh, David Feldman, who in turn then ended up getting his own gig on KPFK. Look at that. Hi, I helped the kid out. Huh? <laughs> David Feldman and his three Emmys. I helped him get a, get a public radio show. Huh? Well, look at me. I'm a real kingmaker <laughs> over there. Hey, David, I got you a show you could do for a half hour for nothing. How about that? You give it away free to KPFK, huh? What do you think about that? So, um, uh, what was your question? How I appro- <laughs> how I approached this? Did yeah, you, it, it, you know it seems what? Like a, quite an endeavor. It's you know it all started with doing the uh, the pop and politics show at the UCB theater. Like I was just a regular comedian, and uh, I like to talk a lot about about the stuff you're not supposed to talk about. Like I like to talk about religion, and I like to talk about uh, politics, right, in my act. But mostly uh, religion, and um, then the regular stuff about growing up. Yeah. But it was something about when, so uh, I was watching a lot more television and uh, my head was having some back problem. And so I was watching a lot more television. I wasn't going out and about or playing sports like I normally was. And the UCB opened up in Los Angeles and I knew the guys, Matt Besser and Matt Walsh. And, and Matt asked me if he said, if you, do you want to do a show here? We'd like you to do a show. And I said, oh, sure, I'll do a show just because I knew it was stupid if I said no, I didn't yeah. want to do a show. <laughs> Like no, no thanks. Man, give it to somebody else. No, I don't know what, but that you know what, but that actually, it's you know, it really scared me because like I never had to, even though I'm a stand-up comedian, I don't really look at that as doing my show. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's me standing up at a stand, a comedy club and telling jokes. All right, I know how to do that, but I, that's not what this is going to be. <laughs> I can't do that here. This has to be something different. And so it seemed like so I started to I would watch TV and they would. Uh, I would talk back to the TV, like as we all do, I guess. I'm guessing everybody, yeah, yeah. when they yeah. see somebody say something stupid on the television, they go, no, that's because of this. You blah, blah, blah. Or they have and I was like, well, this will be my show. I'll do this. I'll take. And so I learned how to take the clips that I was watching and put it on my computer. And then I could play it and say what I was saying. And that was basically the beginning of the show. And that's kind of... Um, you know, it's, you know, John Stewart certainly has perfected Betrayal and Perspective perspected that mm-hmm. but uh, uh, you know that's kind of what I do in a sense but I, you know I do it differently but uh, uh, and that's how it all started and it's re- and to me uh, you know it was interesting to learn how to write to video clips you know uh, it was harder than I thought it yeah. was like it, the intro to the clip is almost more important than the punchline after it it's like how you set it up 
it's uh, it was another comedy lesson anyway. So that's how I do it. When I see a clip of something and I want to say something, that's that's how it started, and that's how I started to do my radio show KPFK. And comedy and everything else was just Todd and I wanting to talk about comedy with other comedians and then other shit. We like to talk about, um, you know, I obviously like to talk about world events and the news and the stuff that you would hear Stephen Colbert talk about and John Stewart and Bill Maher. I mean, that stuff always interests me. Uh, and, and Todd had his own pet things he'd like to talk about. And I think when people originally started listening to our show, they were like, uh, yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of everything else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I'm like, I remember those comments on like a special thing. Yeah, I have figured no, we we didn't, we weren't going to sit down and write comedy bits. Although we did at some point start to do stuff like that. Right. It was just going to be us talking about comedy. It was like, no, I'm going to talk about comedy with other comedians. I love to hear like you know whenever Woody Allen would be interviewed about, it, I would love to hear. Anyway, so that was always I couldn't get enough of that stuff. So Absolutely, I, no. I, I'm, I'm as as a as a fan of your podcast. I I'm a, and a comedian. I appreciated that. Oh, okay. I really, really appreciated it. Well, that so that's what. And then it just kind of we and then we ended up doing Todd would end up doing some bits, uh, you know, and we. Uh, but it, it it never was gonna it never just was gonna be our comedy sketch thing. Right. Uh, well, there's a lot of. I mean, there's a lot of good. Uh, uh, podcasts out there that are doing things like that now that are breaking kind of the format of of you know some dudes talking or whatever well david feldman's show did a lot of sketch comedy on his show so uh, paul Paul tompkins is doing the the regular bits on on the tomcast and um schmidt's doing little bits yeah oh is he yeah, little fake commercials and things like that. And, and that leads me to a question about one of my favorite bits of yours, and I have a very specific question about this. Now, Tuesday is with Moron. Oh, I do a bit. Yeah, yeah. So we do that. Oh, so we we did start doing bits yeah. on the show. Yeah. And I know that was inspired by your brother, uh, your conversations with him. Yes. Well, more of a... Uh, cer- yes, certainly. <laughs> <laughs> cer- it was just uh, my... O- yes, my oldest brother... Um, it all started one day when I was at his house and out of nowhere, he just goes, Hey, we got to get rid of that estate tax. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't even know what he was talking. And I was like, what are you talking about? You can't get rid of the state tax. You got to have, have state tax on everything, Phil. He goes, no estate. The death tax. Yeah. And I go, (laughs) and he told me what it was. He goes, well, if you die and you have millions of dollars. And I just, that's what started this whole journey was that statement right there. My brother saying that, and it ended up with me saying, you know, I, I don't think estates have two cards that don't work on the front lawn. I can't believe you were worried about this. <laughs> I, this is what you're, pro- I mean, uh, and he had a whole thing worked out. He, he, he told me, he worked, he lived in a city called Naperville at the time. And it's a, well, it's kind of a, it's an upper middle class suburb in, uh, of Chicago. And he goes, uh, he goes, you know, the Napers, when they built this town, when he they built this town, and when he died, he had forty million dollars. The government just came in they and took half it. His kids only had twenty million dollars. I go, his kids only got twenty million dollars. <laughs> Phil, how did you even sleep through the night? <laughs> those poor, those poor neighbor children, freezing, only oh. having having to burn five dollar oh. bills in their fireplace and stacks and of five instead of twenties. Instead of twenties, yeah. I'm sure that the neighbors were up all night worrying about you, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> hey, did you hear T-shirts went up at Walmart again? How's Phil Dore going to do it? Nope. <laughs> anyway, that was how that us all started. And then I had to do a character. So then it was just basically... It's developed into this 
universe of its own with this rich tapestry, this canon, <laughs> where <laughs> Moron has a wife named Therese, and I'm really interested in where the obsession with infomercial products came from. I don't, you know, it just, to me, that's, I, I was thinking one day, who buys this stuff? And then it's like, uh, Moron and Therese. Rich Brown <laughs> is one of my favorite comedy writers. He not only had a ShamWow, but he had the ShamWow mop. <laughs> wow, he went back to the to And I was the well like, what? You got the mop? He goes, well, I was on the phone and he told me. <laughs> and I was like, well, this who buys? Regular people buy this stuff all the time. That's why they're advertised constantly because people are buying this shit. Mm-hmm. So he, typical, and we're, uh, you know, t- typical American think he's, he's you know, he's going to buy something that's going to make his life easier. Sham was a sham. Wow. How, how is that going to, it picks up juice. Yeah, you know what? So does a rag. A towel. <clears throat> a to- and then you know what you have to do with the sham? You have to wash it because it now has mustard on it. <laughs> it's or, not magic. Or, or, or hooker blood if you're uh, yeah. in his face. It's still, it's still just a fabric that's made by m- human beings yeah. using right. the common laws of physics. <laughs> right. It's not like it has nanites in it that break down the yeah, liquids. Yeah, this isn't magic. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Creating more ShamWow. That would be kind no, of awesome. just And the liquid's gone. No, it's magic. Those ShamWows. They make, it's made by Germans. They make right. good stuff. So, um, <laughs> so that's how Moron... So, yeah, Tuesdays yeah. with Moron. I should... I should become famous just off Tuesdays with really, Moron. It seemed like it seemed like you and Moron were getting along more, and he seemed very nice and and, and well spirited around and Thanksgiving. Forth. And then yeah, he's got depends on bit, how I feel. Yeah, he's been getting a little prickly lately. Yeah, it depends on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Moron is this guy who calls in, and he's a buddy, kind of. I don't know how he started calling me, but he listens to Sean Hannity, and he norm originally it was he would call up confused. <laughs> You know, <laughs> needing some clarification, and he would go like, and it was all about healthcare, and it was he, this guy, because I got to, because I had to imagine that regular people were listening to Sean Hannity, and I'm like, well, so don't they get confused because they don't have healthcare, and Sean Hannity comes on and tells them they do, and then they got to be going, but wait a minute, so Moan would call in, and he would go, uh, uh, yeah, I call, I, yeah, Jimmy, I, I, I was listening to Sean Hannity, and I called him up, and I asked him, you know. Uh, I lost my job and my wife doesn't have insurance and she's got uh, her lady problems and so she's got to go see the lady doctor <laughs> and um, but we don't have the insurance so we can't afford to go and uh, we can't, he won't let us go if we can't pay to see my wife's lady doctor and I don't know what to do and I called Sean Hannity and he told me that we could just go to the emergency room <laughs> but but then, but my, her lady doctor doesn't work at the emergency room. <laughs> he works right down the street from us, about two blocks. He, he's got an office. It's really convenient. <laughs> but, and then, and then I would say, well, what, what, and what did you say to Sean? And he just hung up. He said, we have the best healthcare in America and uh, you can go to the emergency room. But uh, so I don't know. What is that? Well, how, what, why would he say that? If the emergency room, if, and so then I would explain to him that, you know, Sean's a tool of uh, the healthcare industry. And of course, oh, there's, he, there's more after that. He I doesn't. Just, Sean's a tool. I, I thought you. Oh, just, yeah. <laughs> and he, he doesn't have any answers for your problems. He just has propaganda to keep the people who are making money, <clears throat> not giving you healthcare, making money. Because that's how they make money is by not giving you care, but denying you care. And so that was, that's the, that was the genesis for And then he would call up the next day, the next week. He would call up and goes, I was listening to Sean Hannity, 
And he said that if the Obamacare passes, then my doctor is going to go work at the post office. (laughs) Why why would he do that? Does does that mean that my doctor is going to come to my house every day around 11? (laughs) I got to be honest. I don't like having my junk touched that much. (laughs) So So that's how it started. Yeah. And uh, and then sometimes it would call in, and he would just be like the the angry conservative guy. Yeah, you stupid liberals, you don't, you know, little, what's splashing water in the guy's face? What's the big deal? You know, he'd be one of those guys, you know. Yeah. So uh, and Tuesdays with more, and, I, I, and so and then it always ends up with he bought something for his wife Therese, <laughs> and he saw it on an infomercial, and the latest thing was for Christmas he got the Gluggle Jug. Which is, you know, there are always these crazy little... Uh, yeah, I had not heard of this until... The Gluggle Jug is nice. It's a jug that you'd fill it with your favorite beverage. And then uh, as you pour water, it, it looks, like a, it looks like a fish. And as you pour it, it makes a Gluggle Jug. It makes like a little fish sound. So you can put water in it? You can put water in it, sure. You can put soda in it? Yeah, you can put your maybe, favorite beverage. Maybe a coffee if your favorite beverage is... <clears throat> or a juice. Iced tea? Especially iced tea. Oh, <laughs> so it, it makes a glugging sound. Gluggle Jug. And uh, so... <laughs> And the pajama jeans, also he got for his wife. You know, there's so many things. The hanging garden. He got the the the, the oh the high shelf welcome mat that lights up. And uh, there's so many. You know, not not to mention uh, all the cleaning things that he gets. You know. Yeah, I I have to say that the only thing that amuses me more than Moron's obsession with these products is imagining you. Watching these commercials and they're like that's going in. <laughs> well, just well, hold on. I have a serious question about the Gluggle Jug. They're all real products. By I know. I agree. I, I, I yeah. No, uh, you couldn't make that up. I, I, I think you're brilliant. And you shouldn't. You, yeah. you couldn't make something like. So does the Gluggle is the Gluggle Jug? Does it make the noise based on its design, or is there like a like a sound chip in it that that makes the sound? Um, I think it's the design. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I have a lot of respect for that. If it had a sound chip in that, like when you tilted it, it started making the noise, like you know, like the bass that flaps around and sings. Yes, that kind of thing. Yeah, I would have been. Uh, uh, so you still doing uh, your Thursday show at, Fla- at Flappers in Burbank? I do it uh, once a month. Was oh, it monthly? Yeah, yeah, it's a monthly stand-up show, and um, you know, the idea. Well, yeah, so I still do it. Yes, that. The, the answer to the question. The answer is yes. The next one is the thirteenth. And we, I, you know what? That reminds me, I have to go book it. I have to go get some comedians to be on that show. Because I just went to Flappers for the first time. It's a great looking room. It, you do the big room? Or the, the, I, the both I, rooms are nice looking. Both, yeah, they are. They are. They're as, I, was, I was pleasantly surprised <clears throat> for what used to be Romano's Macaroni Grill. Yeah, they really did it right. They yeah. said that they listened to our podcast. Oh, and they awesome. go, Jimmy, you and Todd are going to really like the lighting. We listen to your show because <laughs> we, you know, for when we, if you don't, if you haven't heard our show, uh, about the first twenty episodes, that's all we talked about <laughs> was the lighting at comedy clubs and, uh, again and spanking and spanking and, kids and, 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 and until Paul Goebel came in and sorted it out. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes you just got to spank your kids. I checked out of that that episode about five minutes in. <laughs> And I decided I would never talk about, I would try, to, I haven't talked about spanking kids again. Yeah. Because um, as a guy who doesn't have kids, I think I made my point. Yeah. And uh, I don't need to tell other people how to parent their kids anymore. Although spanking is wrong. Well, then, my, <laughs> then, I, then I'll, I'll withdraw my follow-up question. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, just, I, I just know what I would say to somebody yeah. if somebody who didn't have kids tried yeah, to yeah. tell me how to raise my kids. Yeah, yeah. I know what I would say to that person. Well, having a child, having a child too, I think... 
it really changes your perspective on it. And I still, I, I would not spank my child. Um, I could envision scenarios in which I would spank my child. Right. I would. I can envision scenarios where I would spank my wife, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. you don't do it. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jesus yeah, Christ! Exactly. I could certainly envision scenarios. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. It's, uh, Todd Glass always makes the joke about uh, people go, "Yeah, but what if my kid runs out into the middle of the street?" And it's like, uh, what he, he, he people say that he goes, "I never hit my kids." Like they brag about it. Right. Right. You know, like, yeah, yeah, it's like going, yeah, I never hit my girlfriend either. I not, never, never, even I've if she never runs out to the middle of the street, never, never, never punched my grandma either. I have, however, slugged my wife in the gut really hard once, but it was completely by accident. Sure. It was. Even if she runs out to the middle of the street, you wouldn't punch your grandma? Oh, I'd totally punch my grandma. But that, that flapper show, Flappers is treating you well, it's, uh... Yeah, yeah. The people. I was frightened. I was. I. I what, what show did you see? Did you go do a show there? No, no. A friend of mine was going up. Who? So I, uh, uh, Meredith Hoffman Mer- and oh. MJ Hoffman. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There. MJ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see that. I know that from Facebook. Yeah. MJ um, Hoffman. Yeah, friend of the show. Very friend catchy show. name. Yeah. Right. But Meredith, Meredith Jennings often. I refuse to do the MJ thing. Oh, okay. But I have to now because that's how she's known. Uh, yes, that's how she's known. That's why I didn't know her when you said Mary. When you said yeah, MJ, she, I go, she, yes, she I know show, MJ. She did a show. Um, but it's, it's funny because it's right uh, literally like two miles from my house. Yeah, we were so. just we were both fascinated by the idea of Flappers. Like oh, just a new club. Like, oh, a new club's opening up? Okay, let's check this out. Oh, Jimmy Dore's doing a show there? Well, then they're probably cool. Okay, okay. But at first it was very it was very much looked like the comedy club kind of thing. And I'm, I'm totally... UCB guy, I'm much more of the alt, you know, small rooms and they're definitely more fastball down the middle yeah, over yeah. there, and that's why I started to do a show there. I went in there on a Saturday, like I think it, I, I guess it was the first weekend they were open. I didn't realize that. Yeah, and, they've only been open a little while. Yeah. And it was a Saturday night, and it was full, and it was beautiful rooms. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, they packed them in, and it was, and they could have used. Show. And I was like, and I'm looking at the people that they had on their lineups, and not that they were bad comics, they just weren't. Um, the level yet they yeah. weren't at the level yeah, yeah, that yeah. you would expect to see at a Los Angeles comedy show on a week on a Saturday night. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like perfectly fine comics, but they just you have to work your way to a spot like this. You have to you have to get some uh, yeah. achievements, some television under your belt, and then like if you walk if I walked into the Improv on a Saturday night, I would expect to see all people who have been on television. Right, right, right. I wouldn't right, expect right. to see anyone there who has not been doing done stand up t- comedy. T- I just why why would because there's a whole city full of those people. So besides the uh, podcast and the radio show uh, and uh, the Papa Politics show, we can check you in at JimmyDoreComedy.com. Yes, which is uh, it should be made fun of how bad <laughs> that website is. But we, I've got my guy building. We're trying. I had the problem was I had three websites. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they, if you put them all together, you got one good one. But if you have all three, <laughs> there's like, oh, kind of shitty. So <laughs> I had comedy, everything else, right, for my podcast, and I had a website for my radio show, and then I had a website for my stand-up comedy, and that's pretty stupid to do that, right? <laughs> right. So I, and so instead of just getting it better. I decided to ask the guy to try to incorporate all the shit, and uh, it seems to be taking a little longer than we all hoped. <laughs> but um, he, I'm sure it'll be, you know, he's a very detail-orientated guy. He'll get it done right. So uh, that's what I'm looking for, too, is uh, jimmydorecomedy.com. When you go there, it's not a reflection. You know, I, they, they used to say the best comics had the worst promo, and that's certainly right with my website. <laughs> And you're tweeting at Jimmy Dore Comedy? Jimmy Dore Comedy. I, I, you know, I'm, an, I'm not, not a big tweeter. I'd Facebook more. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's how we usually. Communicate. Well, you know, you can you can set up your Twitter to hit, hit your Facebook. Yeah, I have to set up my Twitter <laughs> on my phone, um, and um, 
you know, you can really, I can't imagine, you know, wow. I had to take my email off my phone because it's uh, too distracting. Every, it is a time sink. And then I got to a point, and I don't know if people realize they even get there, like I was looking forward to it. Like I want to be distracted now. I want to totally, yeah. I couldn't stand not being distracted for a second, and that's an addiction, and that's what's happened yeah. to America. Yeah. I, I'm, I think the world, you know, talk about ADD, people... People can't be left alone by themselves for a second anymore. They can't be left alone with their thoughts. And um, but you know, if I get an iPhone, I'll change all my views on this stuff. <laughs> you I think and me I both. hear I hear that they're going over to uh, Verizon. Yeah, they're going over to Verizon. You know, here's the importance Luma. of Twitter for an entertainer. Now, I wouldn't do any of this shit. I probably would not be on Facebook if I wasn't an entertainer. Yeah. If I was a regular person and had a family already, which you're supposed to at my age, and you know, you, my kids are supposed to be in college now. Like a lot of my kids, the, from my friends, their kids are in college. Right, right. Yeah. And so uh, that's I can't, I, I can't even imagine that. I yeah. still feel like a kid. I still feel like a kid myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but all right, let's let's wrap it up. I don't even know what I was saying. <laughs> yeah. uh, and the next show at Flappers is the twelfth. Oh, the thirteenth. Thirteenth Thursday, the thirteenth. Yes, and I don't know who's on that show, but it's a lot. I can just tell you who's been on it in the past: Al Madrigal, yep. Bill Burr, uh, Mark Marin, Nick Thune, Nick Thune, James Adomian, David Feldman, Eddie Pepitone. Yours truly, I'm sure I'm leaving out. We've only done a couple of shows. Do you say Rick Overton? Rick Overton. We've only done a handful of shows, and uh, so, so it's is always... It, is, it every, is it monthly Danny Thursdays? Bevins has been on it. It's always been great, so it's always great comics. Is it first Thursday at No, it's just a Thursday. Oh, a I just Thursday, pick, I pick a Thursday of a month, and I do it there. Mm-hmm. But I got to tell you, again, as much fun as that show is to do, it is a pain in the ass to, to put it together. You know, I have to contact... And uh, I, that's why I became a comedian, so I didn't have to do any of that shit. <laughs> right, right. And now it's like, you need uh, a booker. Yeah. Well, you need a booker you're definitely one of the people who has managed to put together great things. Two podcasts, one slash radio show, two great live shows. Uh, Blaze the Trail for Lives definitely inspired me to start this podcast with Gene. I thank you for that. I thank you for coming on to our show and oh thanks for having me you guys yeah. i appreciate it it was There's, a real pleasure yeah it was you. absolute pleasure i get to say i get to say the last thing you do i'm well, brody foster hubbard i'm gene george i i'm jimmy Dore. and if there's a war on christmas don't you wish it was fought with bullets <laughs> <laughs> I'm eating a vegan cookie. (laughs) Delicious. Delicious.